think we often underestimate the power that we have as adults to positively impact students at school through simple little things like knowing their names and greeting them in the hallway. Our guest this week, Nathan Yang, is the Assistant Superintendent of the Abbotsford School District 49 in British Columbia. He tells a powerful story about a student who belonged. Steve's away this week leading a workshop at a conference, so here are your hosts, Shelley and me, Stan. At Circle Forum, we respectfully acknowledge that the land on which we gather, work, and learn daily are the treaty and traditional territory of Indigenous peoples. We're grateful for our relationship with the First Nations of this territory, for their care of, for, and teachings about the land, water, and all our relations. As a settler organization, we continue to journey to strengthen our understanding of our relationships with Indigenous people, communities and nations, and of how to move forward together in a good way. We acknowledge the contributions and accomplishments of all Indigenous people across Turtle Island, current and throughout history. Thanks, Shelley. Great to be uh, back again this week. And we have a special guest with us this week, uh, Assistant Superintendent Nathan Ying from Abbotsford School District in British Columbia. So welcome, Nathan. Great, thank you, Sam. Happy to be here. Thanks for the invitation. So you've done a lot of work with um, inclusive education and vulnerable students. Maybe you can just talk us through a little bit some of the things that you've done and maybe some of the things that you are doing right now. It's really been a passion uh, for myself uh, throughout my education career supporting the students who, uh, you know, we would probably deem at risk in our, in our system. And really from a lens of uh, really trying to see the potential. And, and, and so operating from a, a place of what, what is possible. Um, you know, there's a number of things that we have uh, done to support kids through the pandemic. You know, some examples I would give are, you know, really at the end of the day, what, what the pandemic did was uh, bring to light the vulnerabilities that existed within our system and how some of our marginalized families uh, were, uh, you know, uh, more subject to uh, those particular pieces. And so we've, uh, as a district, recognized that and put some structures in place. So as an example, through the pandemic, you know, our board and our superintendent made it very clear that the priority for us moving forward would be the health and well-being of our staff and our students, that was going to be the number one priority. Because of that priority, it allowed us to shift away from thinking that there would be a learning loss, right? That there would be these consequences to the academic achievement while we went through the pandemic. Instead, it changed the narrative too. We need to check in and connect with our families and create pathways for them to feel a sense of belonging and connection to their school communities. An example of this would be, you know, our emphasis on taking some time as we shift in the pandemic to check in with families and ask them, and how are you doing? So a teacher in the classroom wouldn't just jump into the instruction, whether it was in, in person or virtual, you would do a check and connect. You would start the day off by asking kids how they were doing and give some space for that. And we know that that's part of, uh, you know, what we've grown to learn is important in, in human development, right? So when we talk about education, we're not just talking about reading, we're not just talking about numeracy, we're not just talking about academic subjects. We're talking about how do we develop uh, uh, contributing, caring citizen. And so that goes back to, you know, when you look at our ministry mandate around an educated citizen and you look at your BC around the things that are important 
Uh, there are things around how kids think, uh, how kids respond, uh, and giving them space to, to dive into some of those pieces that contribute to a more holistic view of, of kids. And so uh, that's been an approach we've taken. I love to hear that. And we, you're right, it's often a piece when there's so much on our plate that we overlook just doing that check-in. Did you get any feedback from kids or from families and even staff of how that felt for them to have that check-in? Yeah, you know, we, we've been down this path for quite a while. So it, it's actually been a couple of years. So prior to the pandemic, we engaged in this piece around um, what I call social-emotional learning, right? So this ability to engage in uh, understanding uh, who you are, right, and what you need. And part of that check-in is that space. So uh, classroom circles as an example. So, yeah, initially it felt awkward for people, right, to just have space and listen. Um, but it was interesting to hear, um, you know, the concept of symmetry is, is something that we've been working on as part of uh, some of our, our district work. And, and that concept is, uh, you know, uh, adult learning is symmetrical to student learning. And so this idea that we're going to create these spaces of, of circles in the work that we do with adults. So we actually, you know, when I was meeting with my staff and when I'm currently working with my, my principal group, we actually get into circle. And we have a question and we take the time and space to do that so they know what it feels like. And so, yeah, comments have been, yeah, it feels a little bit awkward. That's, you know, to slow down and listen. But the response has been what that does to your whole sense of self in the moment, in that position, creates this sense of calm. And so we've had staff that have then gone to uh, other, uh, you know, whether it's their staff meeting uh, and do a similar thing to get teachers to feel what it feels like as well. And then we've heard of and seen that replicated in the classroom. Uh, this connects to the student voice work we've been doing. And certainly students have noticed and appreciated that opportunity to have a uh, voice and to be able to express what their wants are and what their needs are. I love that idea of symmetry and doing this, doing this with adults and also with students. You've been in education for a little while. Can you think of examples of people who have included you in this way in your professional development in your work as an adult in education? Yeah, it's, you know, I would say it's a recent development uh, uh, for me, Stan, in terms of the, the authentic opportunities to be part of something. So the last two to three years, uh, we've been involved in what's called the a Deeper Learning Dozen Project. And so that's a project uh, uh, out of Harvard, uh, facilitated by Dr. Jal Mehta, uh, who uh, is researching this work and this idea of how do you achieve deeper learning within the context of education. And so there's 12 school districts throughout North America, one of which is Abbotsford, who have been involved in this work. And, and that's truly what it is. We, we come together as districts, and when we talk about system level change and the experiences, so really focused on the concept of diversity, equity, and inclusion. When we come together, we're not just sharing, we're experiencing uh, uh, learning together. And so what that might mean is we're, we're holding space and hearing from others and, and the processes that they're going through. We've had opportunities to have students sitting at the table with us around the redesign of high school, as an example. Or we're, we're, we're putting ourselves into uncomfortable situations to challenge uh, the inequities that are in the system, right? So rather than hearing about it, we're experiencing it in hopes of that resonating and then being a part of the work that we do moving forward. So as an example, 
one of our convenings, uh, and actually uh, Shane Sevier, who's an author of The Listening Leader and Student Voice, talks about this in the first chapter of her, her, her new book, Street Data. And it was our convening in Cowichan and an opportunity for us to be in the room and be involved in what was called the village exercise. And that was our participation led by elders uh, in understanding the impact of colonization on our First Nations people. And as we walked through that exercise and being a part of it and experiencing what it was like to have culture stripped away from you, uh, it was an emotional, uh, uh, I would say, uh, life-changing experience in that you really did get to feel what it was like. And then that changes your perspective around uh, what the system is doing. So it's not just hearing about it, it's experiencing it and that idea of symmetry and adult learning. Um, those are the kinds of things we're trying to replicate uh, in our district here in Abbotsford. And that's often what I refer to in training. When I would do training, be part of it is you've got to speak to the heart first, then you can speak to the head. So that's that whole concept that you have to feel it, whether that's uncomfortable, whether that's joy, whatever that is. And now we can learn the information behind it. So that's so powerful. And that's that kind of training sticks with people. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Shalene. That was my conversation actually with my, my middle leaders this year was how do we connect the heart to the head? Uh, and that's something we heard from that couch and communing as well uh, from an elder by the name of Tassila was the, you know, the, the shortest distance, but the, but the hardest travel is the one from the head to the heart, yes. right? In terms of that 14 inches um, is, is truly required but sometimes the hardest travel to uh, the So how has this changed the conversations that you have with principals that are in your district now? Uh, because it, it's one thing, like you say, to experience that and as an adult to experience that. And then it's another to actually sort of put it into practice. Uh, what kinds of things have changed for you as a result of that? You know, it, the perspectives that we have as a system, right? So I, I mentioned earlier the, the whole notion of, of equity, diversity, inclusion. Um, you know, it, it's something that we've talked about here in education and BC for quite some time, uh, you know, the commitment to inclusive education, but it's kind of been in its own little silo, right, in terms of diverse learners. And, you know, it really applies broadly to the system. Everyone needs to be involved in this work because we know we have many different intersectionalities of identity for the students in, in our, our system. And so to adequately address that, to really, truly, authentically get to the issues related to diversity, equity, inclusion, we have to have everyone involved and it has to be system level change. And so this work has allowed us to create the space to understand the impact and to experience uh, what the system is doing, both positively and negatively, right, in order to enact some change in, in the system. Um, you know, this whole idea of, you know, uh, Shelley had mentioned the, the need to the heart, right? There is this piece and, and our district's created a framework based on some of the work, based on the Ministry of Education here in BC, based on some of the work that's happening in, in the US around recognizing what it would take to create equitable and inclusive schools, right? So we have a framework that's really the foundation for the work that we're doing. It, it looks at the, the individual piece, so the ability for us to reflect on who we are and, and, and what bias we might bring to a particular situation and to be aware of that and the assumptions we might make to the interpersonal area or lens where the kinds of conversations we're engaging with one another. It's okay to have uncomfortable conversations, but we need to create safe space. Uh, and then looking at the areas of the pedagogical, right? The kinds of 
of uh, lessons we're using, being culturally responsive, and then looking at the structures, recognizing there are some structures within our system that are inherently uh, uh, biased or racist and, and needing to address that. And so it's been a really interesting journey for us to look at that framework and using that to help guide some of the actions. Uh, that we're we're implementing in our, our school district. That's a real challenge. That's a tall order when you're trying to really shift a system that has done things the same way for at least a century often. Um, <laughs> but to, to have people, because we want to slip back to our safe places too when it gets uncomfortable, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So any 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 challenges that you've really been faced with or any kind of things that have worked really well to have people start to make that shift? Yeah, it, you know, there, there are lots of challenges that are associated with this. Change is difficult, period. Um, and, you know, the people within the system want to do good work, right? So yes. it, it, they want to create opportunities for all kids. And, and so it's not an individual piece. It's collectively as a system built on, like you said, Many, many years. I mean, we're built on a system, a westernized colonial system that creates those structures or those barriers, right? And so how do you how do you how do you deconstruct that? Well, right. you have to change patterns of, of behavior. And so that's for us the, the challenge being that change is slow. Like in an education system, it is slow. And uh, part of it is getting people to recognize that maybe some of what they're doing is creating harm within the system, even though that's not what they're intending to do. And so it's those having those spaces for conversation. So in terms of what we're doing to address it, I think it's, again, uh, getting discussions with our leaders, right? So it has to be our leaders having conversations around what's working or not working, or how am I contributing or not contributing to that deconstruction, right? Uh, right. How safe do I feel to do something that's out of the box? Right. And does, and will my system support me in doing that? Right. And so that that's really been the space we've been in predominantly is creating uh, the discourse and the comfort to be uncomfortable. You know, one of the things we recognized in our system, we knew there was a transition issue from elementary to middle. So we could identify through some of the data and through some of the conversations we were having with teachers that there was a gap that that. You know, transitions in general are difficult, but we could see that from elementary to middle, we were, you know, some of the kids were becoming disconnected and not as engaged. And so we looked at, you know, our system has finite amounts of resources, but we looked at, well, is there something we could do here to, to pivot to? And what we began to recognize is we did. We had uh, district itinerant youth care workers who worked uh, through multiple levels at, at elementary middle, but we needed to refocus uh, the intent of those uh, individuals. And so it meant a change for them, for sure, in some conversations. And, and uh, you know, again, change is, is hard, but they, they were all really committed to this idea of we need to support kids. Again, going back to this idea of if we're truly going to create equitable and inclusive school environments, here's a support or resource we could use. So we repositioned them to follow those identified at-risk or at-promise youth in elementary in the transition to middle, and we just had them follow them into their middle schools. And so this idea that, there would be one consistent positive adult that followed those identified kids from the elementary transition into middle. Well, uh, you know, in the first year of doing that, we had anecdotal reports of improved attendance for some of those kids. And as we moved into the second year, despite being in the pandemic, 
uh, we continue to hear uh, uh, the impact that has had for those kids in terms of their engagement in school because they had a trusted adult. And this coincides with all the research that we know. So we're a district that is involved with the middle year's uh, inventories of the MDI um, through help here at UBC. And you know, Dr. Sean Reichel in that work identified connectedness to adults as a key factor in the success and engagement of students, right? And, and we have a long way to go. Uh, we have a number of kids who, who, just like many schools throughout the province, or many districts throughout the province who feel like uh, they still need more connection, but we know that that's a protective factor. That's a factor that will lead to greater success for our students, and that's been identified in the research, that that alone, school connection with an adult, can help overcome things such as socioeconomic status, right? That's clearly come out in some of her research. Well, you're you're talking to a choir of two here, man, for <laughs> sure. Like that idea of connecting connecting to a trusted caring adult is kind of at the heart of what we do in terms of our attendance work as well. Theme for our podcast this year is student attendance and engagement. Can you speak to student attendance and engagement in your district? One could view attendance as, as a reflection of the, the relationship that exists between families and students in the schools, right? And so uh, never wanting to take a, a a punitive approach to attendance that you must be here, but it's a sign or a symptom of something bigger that's going on. And so, you know, as an example, working with our Indigenous communities, uh, uh, we did something called the Welcome Project, right, which was targeted towards, so we know that we have vulnerable populations and that uh, in our system, our Indigenous students are, are students that are most at risk because of the structures or the lack of connection that's created. And so our Indigenous department created this initiative called the Welcome Project, where they work with frontline staff, so clerical and other staff, bus drivers, who might be the first ones to meet those kids, and uh, really reinforce the fact that you're the first interaction that that child has with you. And so the need for that to be a positive interaction. And for me, that just rang true in, in my dec decade-long work in, in positive behavior supports in schools. So that's one of the things that we always talk about. You know, if a kid comes late, the last thing you want to do is scold them for being late. You want to thank them for being there and let them know that they're wanted and that we're so happy to see them. Right. And, and, and again, that was a response uh, from our district looking at a target population where we know that that positive interaction can make or break uh, the school experience for a student. Um, it's been interesting that we've had lots of conversations around this and talking about student story. And we've heard that from kids. So when I've engaged in some conversations with students at both the middle and secondary level, they will reflect and talk about those experiences. I had one student who, you know, I was asking them, what's your school experience like? And this was a, a student who had been in care uh, for a number of years, was in a youth agreement, living on his own, who had dealt with numerous issues. And, and he said, you know, at first he had a hard time articulating when I said, well, what do you need to be at school? And after the conversation, after, after you know, um, kind of uh, asking him further for, for more detail, what he came to is it, it's the caring adult that made the difference for him. And he identified a teacher, wasn't his main teacher, a teacher who took the time to say, how are you doing? Knew his name. Uh, and acknowledge the situation. And, and that was the one thing he identified as why he was still in school. That one interaction, that one relationship with that one teacher 
made all the difference in the world to him. I love that. Um, just asking, first of all, what is it that's you know keeping you coming here? And then to find out that it's not even necessarily a teacher that he has you know, that, that uh, he's in class with right now that he's made that connection with. And one of the things I think we often undervalue as, as educators is the opportunities we have to do that kind of connecting over a period of time and make a huge difference and impact in the lives of a student. You just don't know the kind of impact that you can have. Right. And it's something that everybody can do. You can say good morning. You can say, how's your day going? You do not need to be a counselor. You don't need to be an administrator. You don't need special training to greet somebody with a smile. And that's exactly what you're talking about there. And the impact, you don't know what that will do for somebody. Yeah, yeah it, it's it's pretty clear through all of the, the research and the surveys we've done and then reinforced by the individual stories that are told by students that what they're looking for is that caring adult. And it, it doesn't have to be therapeutic. Nope. It's as simple as knowing their name, saying, hi, how are you, creates the space and creates the connection that's required for the majority of our students. I mean, that that has clearly come out in the conversations um, and, and so that gives me hope that we can we can move there. It's interesting when we look at the pandemic, and certainly there were lots of things in the pandemic that made it really, really challenging. But what it did, and I'll go back to when, when our, our board and superintendent made student health and well-being a priority, it created the opportunity and the permission and the space in the pandemic, both virtually and when we came back face to face, to say to the kids, how are you doing? Right? It created that empathetic connection and gave teachers the permission, released them from this idea that we've got to get, we've got to get through this curriculum. It, it gave them permission to say, this is important. If, if we want kids to develop into that educated citizen, if we want them to acquire the skills that we know will help them in life, we have to be connected to them. We know that they that unless they feel like we care, the learning isn't going to happen at the rates that we need it to, right? And, and I think that's one of the things that came out of the pandemic. Um, where we, we created that space to, to connect and, and demonstrate our care um, in different ways for the kids. Isn't it interesting, though, that it, it in some ways it took a pandemic to give teachers the permission to ask how you're doing? I mean, that to me is phenomenal. I mean, if that's something positive that comes out of this incredibly uh, overwhelming experience, that's amazing. And the leadership giving permission for yeah. that, as, as odd as it sounds, that is so powerful because, you know, I, we've all worked with teachers and they really, they're caring people. They want to do right by kids. And it's almost they need that permission, if you will, that it's okay that you're not getting to math right now because that's not what's being presented right now for you. And, and it's huge. And once they have that permission, whether that to do be classroom circles, whether that's just to do an informal check-in, they run with it for sure. Yeah. And what I would say to it, it speaks to the structure of schooling, right? When we talk about what counts, what values, and we talk about, because you know the system does require some accountability in public education, but it's this idea that for a teacher in a classroom, the evaluation, right, the reporting, right? And, and what gets measured, right? And, and what gets held up as success within the system. And that's the, the piece that takes a little bit longer to change, right? And, and so I think as a district, we're working there. We're, we're capturing the power of story, right? So we we can't get away from the numbers piece because that, that's the way that our system is currently built, but we can influence it through the stories that our teachers and our, and our, our students are telling about the successes. Because successes 
can't always be captured by a number, right? And that, that's been very clear. And again, feel really fortunate to work in a school district like Abbotsford where that, that's recognized from the board level to our superintendent and then the work that's currently happening in schools. And, and you know, we, we still have a ways to go. I don't want to paint a, 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 an unrealistic picture, but it's the recognition that the story tells the meaning of that number, right? And, and we've been really moving towards that over the last year, especially uh, in the work that we've been doing as a system. What's one practical suggestion you have that comes out of our conversation today? I think it's really important, uh, whatever role you're in, so whether it's a senior leader role, a school principal role, a district leader role, teacher, support staff, take the opportunity to listen to those around you, right? Create the space to listen, not to respond, but listen to understand. And I think that, you know, it sounds simple, but it's hard as educators, we're built to provide solutions. And what I've learned just in what we've experienced through the pandemic, through our recent experience here in Abbotsford with the flooding, we have to create the opportunity for people to, to tell their story and to listen and to understand, not necessarily to provide them with a solution, right? And that goes a long way to empowering people to be engaged and to know that they're valued and heard. So that, that's one piece right off the bat. Um, easier said than done. One thing that I picked up from what you, you're saying, there's so much in there, but um, we know change is difficult, particularly in large systems. But what a piece that I picked up was that you had people kind of narrow in on their, the common goal that we have for youth or for students. And once we all know, and it tends to be a common goal, and once we can get back to recognizing that, then we can start to make some of the changes or the shifts in um, philosophy or direction that we're going. So that's that's what I grabbed out of what you're saying. Yeah. Absolutely. Clear vision about where you're headed through the system helps keep us pointed in the right direction and stay committed to that action despite the challenging conversations with the times. Absolutely. And that everybody in a school system has a role and, and that everybody sees their place in that shift is really important, right? Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. I would just add, because this has been a fantastic conversation, I would just add something around that uh, idea of permission, that you look for permission, but also give yourself permission to ask those questions, those simple check-in kinds of questions. How's it going? I mean, you're dealing with this or that in your community. Uh, how's it going with that? And to do that, not just because, and this is the other thing um, that I really love, is the idea of symmetry, that if we're going to do this with kids, we need to do this with adults as well. So that that let's let's uh, let's work on those two things, and uh, make some connections. Then, just in summarizing and wrapping up, to student attendance and engagement, based on what we talked about today. Yeah, and again, uh, when we look at the kids being at school and the level of engagement, again, I would say attendance is a symptom, right? If if we create the opportunities where kids can see themselves in the learning, right? So I, I reference things like culturally responsive teaching, um, you know, the ability, the different intersectionalities of the identities of our students. If you feel connected to the learning, if you can see yourself in the learning, you're going to be there, right? And, and I think if you're not showing up, it's because you don't see the connections or the relevance to the learning. And, and so that's not necessarily on the learner. Certainly we, we have some expectations, but it's, the system and the adults in the system and the adjustment to 
understanding what that student needs to be engaged in their learning, right? So attendance is a symptom of engagement or lack thereof, right? And, and so I think to view that way rather than a willful disobedience of the kid not wanting to be there, it's a sign that they're not engaged. And what we know is kids are not engaged when they don't think of ourselves as learners. If we're not interested or we don't see its application or see ourselves in it, we don't engage, right? And, and youth are no different uh, in regards to that. And when you shift that lens that you're viewing it through, you're going to shift your actions with it. It just goes together. Exactly. This has been great, Nathan. Thank you so much for joining us. We've really, really enjoyed this conversation and certainly wish you all the best in your work uh, in Abbotsford. Great, thank you so much. It's been a pleasure to be here with, with you and Shelly today. And uh, again, just thank you for the invitation. Thank you. Capturing the power of story to help the numbers in education make sense. I love it. Belonging and connection don't just happen. It's a matter of intention and a system vision, like Nathan Yang said. And I love that symmetry of adult learning and student learning. I mean, if we're not engaged with learning, what chance do our students have? We do a lot of work with setting the intention and training of staff to be that trusted, caring adult in order to build that student engagement and attendance. So drop us an email to stan at restorative.ca and let's keep the conversation going.